0: Good evening, everybody. How are you doing tonight? I want to add my welcome and uh, thank you for being with us tonight, whether you are here in person or whether you are with us online. We are just glad to be able to worship the Lord with you tonight. And I must say to those of you who are here in the worship center, it is so good to see you again in person after a couple of weeks just online. So good to get out again and rub shoulders with you as we worship together like this. Thanks for being here. So if you haven't heard the news, I want to go back to a couple of things and update you. Both proposals that were on the ballot for our special meeting a couple of weeks ago, uh, both proposals were approved by a whopping 96% vote. And that includes, yeah, amen, that includes the adjusted budget and, of course, the passing of the baton to Tom as our new senior pastor on July 1st. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to give a shout out to Tom and Debbie. I think they're out probably in the parking lot getting ready to hand out candy right now to our neighborhood. But I am excited and confident that Tom will do a great job as our lead pastor. And I'm super excited about being able to serve under Tom and support him uh, starting in July. So praise God for his favor, favor on our church and on our transition process. Amen. The other good news that I want to share with you is earlier this week, if you're on our prayer chain, you received an email from me uh, telling you about a 27-year-old young man who is a friend of Lake City. His name is Philip Walton, and he's the son of Bruce and Robin Walton, very special friends of Lake City. And this morning, while we slept last night, uh, you probably or may have heard that uh, SEAL Team Number 6 was able to uh, rescue him safely, and uh, he is uh, safe and sound with his family again in Niger. So we praise God for that. So please join me in prayer. Lord, uh, we just praise you as our sovereign king, king of the universe. And Lord, I want to thank you for uh, the way you intervened for uh, Philip, and the way that you rescued him from evil men, God, uh, just like Acts 12, as the church prayed for Peter, Lord, uh, you delivered him. And we just are, are excited to, to see you do that even today. We pray for his healing, for care for him and his family, for wisdom and direction moving forward for them. And Lord, I uh, also want to thank you for the outcome of our special meeting recently. God, I pray that you would prepare Tom and Debbie and their family for this transition and also our whole church family. God, we celebrate your favor and your leading upon this transition even now, and Lord, we praise you for that. And Lord, we ask now that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see your truth as we open your holy word, in Jesus' name, amen. So, I was having a conversation with uh, one of our adult children recently, and I was, as we were talking, we I realized that we are not on the same page when it comes to... Uh, who we're voting for in the election right now. And uh, it struck me, you know, it's been sort of an ongoing dialogue for a few weeks now, and it struck me that my own kid and his spouse could likely cancel out our votes, and that really kind of (laughs) sort of bothered me. And I'm guessing that I'm not the only one uh, that uh, has had some similar exchanges lately in our families. And one of the things that reminded me is that there are just so many things right now in our world that can create friction and cause disunity among us. Obviously, politics is just one of those things. There's a host of other issues as well that people feel pretty passionately about, things like racial injustice and the coronavirus and exactly how to navigate that, just to mention a couple of other highly charged issues. Amen? Well, we've been talking as a church family for the last... Four weeks about how God wants us to live together as His children. And we've noted that there's at least 40 times in the New Testament where we're commanded to be related to one another in certain ways. The one another passages that describe how we're to love one another, to live in love. We talked about living as members of one another, our teammates, how to accept one another how to count others as more important, more significant than ourselves, and, uh, and how to honor one another just last week. Thanks, Caleb, for that. And today we come to number five, and uh, it's simply this, we're to bear with one another. And I want to begin by reading our key passage tonight, which is Ephesians chapter four, these first six verses. So if you have a Bible, open it up. Otherwise, you can just follow online on the uh, screens behind me. Ephesians four, one to six says this. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, bearing with one another. What does it mean to bear with someone? So if you haven't already, you might open up your notes or open them on your app or grab them off the tables out in the foyer, out in the gathering area. What does it mean to bear with someone? The Greek word is anekomai, and it's used 17 times in the New Testament, so I want to look at what that word means and how it's used. Here's a definition. It means to bear with, to endure, to put up with something, or to show tolerance toward someone. To bear with, to endure, to put up with, to show tolerance. I preached a sermon three weeks ago about accepting one another, which is very similar but not quite the same. Accepting someone has to do more with, with uh, accepting different convictions when it comes to doctrine. While this message tonight certainly overlaps that idea some, it's really more about how we relate to others who have different views and different preferences on more non-doctrinal issues. So let's look at a, a couple of other translations because that helps us sort of understand how this word was used. Here's a few other translations. So the ESV says bearing with one another. We just read that. The King James says forbearing one another. New English translation says putting up with one another. And the New Living translation says making allowance for one another's faults, making allowance for one another's faults in love. I want to illustrate this concept of how we bear with someone. Okay. What came to my mind when I thought about that was some of the pets that we've had over the years. So I'm talking dogs, cats, hamsters, things like that, right? One of our favorites was this yellow lab mix that some of you might remember when we lived back in Colorado, and her name was Butterscotch. When Butterscotch got older, she began to have some health issues. Specifically, she developed a leaky bladder. And it was especially an issue when she got excited, which was basically any time you showed up at the house or opened the front door and came out, all right. And of course, one of the issues was that her pen in the front porch always kind of smelled like urine. I'm sorry if that's gross, but that's just kind of how it was. And maybe some of you have had a pet like that that you sort of had to put up with something that wasn't pleasant, something that became a challenge to live with. There was some talk from time to time about giving her up because of that issue, but we decided against that. You know why? Because we'd grown pretty fond of her over the years. She was sort of like a member of our family. In other words, we loved her. And when you love someone, you make allowance for their faults, don't you? You put up with certain things. Question, why is it that sometimes we have more patience and more forbearance for a pet than we have for brothers and sisters in Christ. Next let's talk about the context which helps us understand this word bear with one another. All right. So the context in Ephesians 4 is differing spiritual gifts and how God brings together many different members into one family to bring glory to himself. They okay, were members of one another Teammates, so to speak. And so the context of Ephesians 4, just as in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, is living together in such a way that we bring glory to God. And one of the key admonitions God gives us through Paul here in Ephesians 4 is bear with one another in love. Now, there's some other passages where this word is used as well that helps us understand The meaning of bear with the concept, for example, Matthew 17, 17 is where we read this. And Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? How long shall I bear with you? Same word. Okay, to bear with someone has the connotation of putting up with something about them, something that they're doing. And you can imagine, Jesus was the perfect son of God. And when, it, when he came to earth, he had a lot to put up with as he lived among sinful man. Colossians three twelve and 13 is another key passage where this word is used. We're going to look at it closely later, so I'm just going to read it for you right now. And it says this, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So bearing with one another is not a synonym for forgiving. But I think that oftentimes there's a measure, at least, of forgiveness that might be involved. Although I think forgiveness more directly relates to when someone does an offense directly against us, I think bearing with somebody is more a matter of when we have a difference of perspective or a difference of view about something. That's not necessarily a sin. In other words, not everything that irritates us is a sin, right? I might be irritated with my child because he doesn't have the good sense to vote like I do. Okay, (laughs) But that doesn't necessarily mean that he sinned against me, clearly. Let me put it this way we need to recognize that not everything is equal in importance. Not everything is equal in importance. Because some things in life are spelled out black and white in God's word, but other things aren't. Other things are more a matter of preference, more a matter of opinion. So as we saw a few weeks ago when we studied the concept of accepting one another, Romans chapter 14... When things aren't spelled out black and white in the word of God, God allows us to pray over them and to study them and to arrive at our own convictions about them. In Romans 14, Paul referred to the issue of meat offered to idols. And he was also talking in that chapter about the day of the week that was the right day to worship the Lord on. And those might not be issues, big issues for us today, but they were biggies in Paul's day, believe me. They were every bit as big as politics or the virus or any of the things that we deal with today. I want to remind you of that key principle from that sermon, and it's this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. By the way, this is Reformation Day, and it was Martin Luther's partner Melanchthon, Philip Melanchthon, who actually is credited for that statement. So that goes all the way back to the Reformation. In essentials, unity. and non-essentials, liberty. and all things, charity or love. In non-essentials, God commands us to show respect and forbearance for those who come to different views than we have and who have different preferences than we hold these kind of matters. Here's an example that some of you might relate to, okay? Early on in a marriage, so that's probably my phone ringing in my pocket if you wanna grab that, so, (laughs) out of of my jacket there. Probably, I think I forgot to turn that off, sorry. (laughs) Everyone's looking around, who is that? I think that's me, sorry. (laughs) Here's an example that you might relate to tonight, okay? So, you know, early on in marriage, a couple has a lot of adjusting to do, right? And typically, it has to do with things that are preferences. Right? You know, what temperature are we going to set the thermostat? and How are, are we going to roll the toothpaste tube that we share? And, and, uh, and what, where do you like to eat? And uh, what, what do you want to do for entertainment? Yeah, those are issues that aren't right and wrong. Right? They're matters of preference. And any wise husband will learn to live with his wife in an understanding way about those kind of things, right? In other words, to give preference amen. to her and honor. So, amen. <laughs> you know, a guy may marry a, a woman and discover that while he loves sports, she might not quite so much. Or while she's an extrovert, he's a little bit more of an introvert and doesn't like to go out and socialize as much as she does. Every family, every marriage is different, but these are differences. They, they're not matters of right and wrong. The preferences, but preferences obviously can cause irritations in relationships, right? And putting up with one another has to do with these differences between individuals, whether that's a marriage or a friendship or even in a diverse body of believers, such as this. We are to deal with one another in the midst of these differences by learning to bear with one another in love. Well, let's assume that we all agree that the Bible tells us we're to live this way with each other. The next question that we need to realize is this. Why is this important? Why is this such a big deal? Now, I want to give you three reasons why God tells us to live out our faith with forbearance. Okay? Number one is this. It's foundational to living out Our calling. Our calling. As God's children, we have been called to a brand new life, and we've been given a brand new code of conduct. Ephesians 4 is the opening verses of this section of our key passage today, and again, it goes like this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Forbearance is a key because it's foundational to our calling as God's children. When Paul speaks of walking worthy, he's talking, about our, he's talking about living out our faith in a way that pleases our Heavenly Father. The idea of walking worthy of our calling is that our actions, the way we live with each other, matches our beliefs and our inner convictions. It lines up with how God's instructed us to live, in other words. And one of the key ways we live out our calling as God's children is we learn to bear with each other in love. Another reason for forbearance that it's important is because it preserves unity among believers. It preserves unity. In Ephesians 4, Paul emphasized the end game of unity in the body of Christ. And that is actually a very common admonition that we're given as followers of Jesus. For example, we find the very same emphasis on unity in Colossians 3, which we're going to look at now, which it's the other key passage on bearing with one another. And it's all headed toward this idea of unity, the goal of unity. So let's look at that now. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience Bearing with one another is just one of a collage of attitudes that God desires us to develop as we mature in Jesus Christ. These are Christ-like attitudes that are produced by the Spirit of God in our lives as we surrender our lives to Him. It's part of our growth process as Christians. And By the way, unity does does not mean that we all have the same views on things. We come from different backgrounds and we've experienced vastly different things in life we have different tastes we like different music i understand that some of you even like country western music so yeah, <laughs> yeah. i thought I'd, i thought i'd get some response to that we enjoyed different hobbies we followed different sports teams Some of us are Republicans and some of us are Democrats. Some of us are strict maskers and some of us not so much. But God calls us to live together in harmony in the midst of all those differences that exist among us. And guess what? All of those things that I just lifted off are what the Bible calls debatable matters. In other words, you can't go to any particular verse in the Bible and say, this verse says we have to do it like this. We seek the Lord. We come to different opinions on those things. But we're still called to live together in unity. Yeah, there's principles in God's word that we can apply to make decisions. I'm not implying that there's no truth of God's word that doesn't apply. But I think you get what I mean. All right. Think about this. It was God's purpose in New Testament times, and Paul talks about it in Ephesians, to bring together the Jew and the Gentile into one church, into one family. That's Ephesians chapter 2. These two groups of people who were so radically different in background and beliefs, and God's plan was to bring them together as a living demonstration of his power and his glory. Here's another example of an admonition to unity. Paul writes in Romans 12:16. Paul writes, "Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another." Here's a definition of harmony. This is adapted from Webster's dictionary. I didn't want to read the entire half page to you, but here's a summary of it. Harmony is a state of agreement. The combining of differences in such a way that the unified blending of various parts produces a thing of beauty and impact. Live together in harmony with one another. For example, when people sing in parts, I really enjoy that. I love music and I love to hear the blending of different voices and different parts, blended in beautiful harmony just has a powerful impact to listen to that. Some of you might sing bass, and some of you might be soprano, or tenor, or alto, or one of those other voices. All those different parts are beautiful, and as long as we're singing in the same key, right? But if we're not in the same key, if we're not in harmony, it's sort of misery. (laughs) It can be. And so, Paul's not saying we're all to be singing the same notes, he's saying we're to be in harmony with one another. You see, you see that? That's God's design for the body of Christ. He didn't make us all the same, and He did, didn't give us all the same background. But God's desire for Lake City Community Church, God's desire for you and for me, is that we take our differences and our opinions and our personalities and our backgrounds, and that we be blended together to make something that is beautiful and has great impact for God's kingdom. How important is living in unity with our fellow believers? Well, first, the New Testament is rippled with command after command for God's people to live in harmony. And second, Jesus prayed for it the very last night of his life on earth. Listen to this, this is John 17. We sometimes call it the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Jesus prayed this. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Jesus praying for us, right? That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Listen, the last night that Jesus lived on the earth, before he went to the cross, this is what was on his mind. This is what he was praying for, for you and for me. And if it's that important to our Lord, and it was, I think it should be a consuming passion for us today why is bearing with one another important it's foundational to living out our calling it's it preserves the unity of the spirit and third it fulfills Christ's command to love we're commanded by Jesus to love and this is one of the primary ways we do so in Mark chapter 12 we have a record of what we sometimes call the great commandment in fact that's Was the emphasis of that recent sermon series called Love God, Love People. And I believe it's fair to say that the way that we love one another is a practical demonstration of how much we love God. Jesus calls us as his children to love one another. And in the upper room discourse, again, the very night before Jesus went to the cross, this is what Jesus taught his disciples John chapter 13. The new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is our Savior's heart for us, to love each other as he loved us. It brings glory to him, and it's how others will know that we are his disciples. And the point of bearing with one another, I think, is this, that God commands us to love even the difficult people in our lives. And I think this is where the rubber meets the road for most of us, is it not? It's putting up with those sometimes that we live closest to, showing grace to those who we consider to be maybe extra grace required. Well, this brings us to the final area that I want to explore with you tonight, and that is how. How do we do this? How do we bear with one another in love? All of us have people that we need to learn to put up with. You do. I'm sure I do as well. So the question is, how do we do this? And the answer is this. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do this. In other words, it is supernatural. Listen, beloved, you and I cannot do this on our own. It's impossible. Apart from the Spirit of God working in you and in me, we won't be able to bear with one another in love. And so practically speaking still, how do we do this? First, I want to remind you, Paul said, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit that God's given us. So right after that admonition, bear with one another in love, Paul says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Another translation puts it like this, make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit. Eager means do whatever it takes. And I would ask you tonight, are you committed to that? Are you eager to pursue unity? Are you doing your part, whatever it takes to make that possible? Four practical suggestions to help us with this. Because if there was ever a time when we needed to learn how to live in harmony with one another, I think it's right now. I can't remember any other time in my 67 years on Earth that there has been so much division in our world. And unfortunately, so much division in the church, Big C Church. Which means this is also an opportunity. Think about that. God has given us an amazing opportunity to grow in this area and to be a beacon of light and hope to a world that is watching. Suggestion number one is consider the example of Jesus himself. Consider the example of Christ. Listen, beloved, I know that we're just naturally more comfortable hanging with people who are like us. Okay, That's not what we're called to. God calls us to be his family with all of our differences, to love each other and to accept each other and to bear with one another in love. And we don't get to decide who is in the family. That's God's job. He makes that call. I love the way Jesus called such a diverse group of people together and invited them to be part of his inner circle. I've been thinking about that. Maybe that's why Jesus chose, exactly why he chose such a ragtag, diverse group of disciples to be in his inner circle. Have you ever thought about that? Hardly an example of homogeneity. Two of my favorites are John and Andrew, whom Jesus nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. I would like to know the stories behind that nickname that they got, wouldn't you? One of them, I think, is this. One day, Jesus and his disciples were traveling toward Jerusalem, and they were traveling through the region of Samaria, which Jesus seemed to like to do, even though they weren't particularly wanted there. And Jesus sent sent some of his disciples on ahead to prepare for their arrival in the Samaritan village. I don't know if they were making plans for the night or making plans for a meal or what, but it just says he sent them on ahead to make preparation. But the Samaritans who hated the Jews just like the Jews hated them, they refused to welcome the Lord's disciples. And when J- they got there, when J- and when James and John saw this, here's what the sons of thunder said to the Lord. Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? <laughs> well, that's a pretty gracious response, huh? Jesus heard that and he rebuked them for that. Hey, God. I don't know what he said exactly. It just says he rebuked them. I'm thinking he said, you know, guys, remember why we're here. We're here to preach the gospel, not to burn them up, right? Not to settle the score. And then consider the example of some of the others that were in the inner circle. Think of the interesting conversations that they had walking along or at dinner. Our Lord included a, a guy named Simon the Zealot, not, not a Simon Peter, but Simon the Zealot, one of the others. And the zealots were this group who were committed to Jewish independence by overthrowing Rome and typically what they advocated was violence. In other words, they were sort of the antifa of the day, right, and at this very same table of our Lord was this other guy named Levi or Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. In other words, he worked directly for Rome. He was considered a traitor because he collected taxes for their hated occupiers. He was sort of like a IRS official, a bigwig of the IRS in Jesus' day. And so Simon, the zealot, and Matthew were on opposite ends of the political spectrum. But Jesus called both of these guys to sit together with him at his table, to be part of his inner circle. And because of their greater allegiance to Christ, they became brothers and co-workers for the gospel. Someone put it this way, and I quote, following Jesus will seat you at tables that make you squirm. I like that. Following Jesus will seat you at tables that make you squirm. Isn't that just how Jesus does things? Here's number two. Focus on what you have in common rather than your differences. What you have in common is what we should focus on, not your differences. We've been talking together tonight about living in unity and love. But unity is not uniformity. And Paul used the human body in Ephesians 4 as a picture of Christian unity. He said, you're all different. Some of you are like a foot, and some of you are like an eye, and some of you are like a hand, and some of you are like a, a mouth. So everyone is different in the body of Christ. But we're called to work together in harmony and unity, to be one body in the Lord. But in times like we live in today, it is so easy for us to get distracted by our differences. And differences divide. Someone put it like this, we heard or we divide based on religion, background, lifestyle, interests, personality, race, politics, and social status. Listen, the Bible has plenty to say about how we disagree with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is always, it is always to be done in love and respect. Beloved, we have so much more in common. So much more in common than we have as differences among us. But it's so much easier to see our differences. They just have a way of standing out more than the things that we have in common, don't they? So much more in common. And that's where we need to focus. And I think that's why Paul says this in the context of Ephesians 4. He said, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Again, it's easy to get focused on differences, especially when the going gets tough. Jackie Robinson was the first African American to play baseball in the major leagues. The year was 1947. If you saw the movie, or 42, a few years ago, or read the Jackie Robinson story, which is such a compelling and beautiful story, you remember how he broke the color barrier and how he faced hostile crowds in every stadium he played in. And hopefully you remember the the story how one day when he was playing in his home stadium in Brooklyn, he committed an error and the the fans began to, to jeer him and to boo him. And Jackie Robinson stood at second base, humiliated while the crowd was booing him. And then without saying a word, shortstop, Pee Wee Reese walked over to him and stood next to Jackie. Here's a picture from the movie, 42, that kind of might jog your memory. And Pee Wee Reese put his arm around his friend and they turned around and he faced the crowd. And suddenly the audience grew quiet. Jackie Robinson later said that arm around his shoulder saved his career. I don't know if that's true or not, but he said that, I believe. Think about it. What did Jackie Robinson and Pee Wee Reese have in common? So much more than they had as differences. They were teammates. They were working toward the same goal to to win a pennant. And By the way, they also became very strong friends, both on and off the field. Listen, beloved, God has called us to be part of His team, His family. And part of that is learning to grow in grace and love toward each other. And one of the best ways that we do that is we focus on the things that we have in common rather than the things that are different. Number three is this pray for those with whom you have differences. Pray for those with whom you have differences. Listen to the words of Jesus that he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this, but to you who are willing to listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. Why do you think Jesus said that? Guessing there may be many reasons for that instruction, but one reason I think is because when we pray for somebody, it changes the way we feel about them and the way that we relate to them. And that brings glory to God. And I believe if the Lord Jesus expects us to love and pray for those that we consider enemies, that it's a pretty good idea for us to pray for others that we have differences with as well. Here's number four. Focus on God's vision for us. Focus on God's vision for us. Our marching orders as followers of Christ are to go into the world and make disciples. Another way we sometimes talk about that is here at Lake City is our vision statement. We're committed to, to loving God, loving one another, and loving the world. What I'm saying is as we keep God's vision for us in view, it helps us deal with all the differences that we might have with each other. And it helps put them into perspective. And I want to remind you, beloved, that God is at work in our world today. Please don't miss out on this strategic moment in history. Our heavenly father is sovereign. We have an eternal king who sits on the throne. And he does not want his church to waste this moment in history, when he is working to wake up the world and to get people's attention. Beloved, we have this unprecedented opportunity to share the hope of Jesus Christ to a hurting world right now. While the media is obsessed with the bad news about the virus all over the world, the real story is this. God is bringing record numbers of people to faith in Jesus Christ today. God is using this for his glory, amen. For example, God is at work in the Middle East today in general like no other time in history. And God is specifically at work in the country of Iran today. I've mentioned this to you before. I hope you're praying for Iran. According to CBN, the Christian Broadcast Network, Christianity is growing faster in Iran today than anywhere else in the world. There's an incredible revival happening in the country of Iran as roughly 3,000 Muslims a month have turned from Islam and chosen Christ since the coronavirus broke out in March. Amen, praise God. The Iranian government has increased access to the internet to help keep people at home. And as a result, many young Iranians are going online and what have they found? They've found hope in Jesus Christ. And CBN is recording 10 times more online salvation than salvations than last time this same time last year. But it's not just Iran, it's not just the Middle East, it's all over the world and it's right here as well. Our friends and our neighbors right here in Pierce County are looking for hope as well. And that's one of the reasons why I am so fired up about meeting together as a church and sharing the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons why I'm so fired up about our youth group and the fact that over the last month or so, some eight of our senior high students have trusted Christ as their Savior And we're going to be celebrating with some of them in a few weeks in a baptism service, just two weeks from this weekend. Listen, that's where we need to focus, on sharing the gospel, on seeing people's lives changed as they find hope in Christ. And every single one of us knows someone who needs Jesus. Let's put aside our differences and focus on what really matters, on sharing Christ with a needy world. Here's some next steps. Number one is this. I will eagerly pursue forbearance and love. I will eagerly pursue forbearance and love. It begins with a decision that you and I need to each make. Bear with one another in love, Paul writes, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace It's paraphrased like this, make every effort, do whatever it takes to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. How are we doing with that? These next three applications or next steps are basically thinking through some realms of application, the different relationships in our life where we need to work that out. So let's start here. Next step number two, I will bear with my own family members in love. I will bear with my own family members in love. I believe God gives us family as a place where we are supposed to learn to live out and work out our faith with other people. That's where we learn it, okay? So, how are you doing bearing with your parents if your parents are still alive? How about bearing with your children if there are some differences that you have with them? Or maybe with your siblings, living with them in love and unity, or with other family members. How are you doing there? That's our first priority, I believe, in terms of learning to bear with one another in love. That's where we start. Ask God to help you grow in love and forbearance with those you are closest to, your own family. Next step number three is, I will bear with my church members in love. That next circle of application is our own church family. And God places us in his family, and he commands us to learn how to love each other so that he is glorified and so that others are drawn to him. And so I'd simply ask you tonight, is there anyone that you need his help to love? Maybe it's me. Maybe it's somebody else. Whoever it is, as we go to prayer in a few minutes, I'll give you a chance to turn that into a prayer. Please take that serious. And again, we can't do this in our own strength. We have to rely upon the power of God's spirit to be able to love and bear with one another like this. Beloved, the church has this grand opportunity today to show a watching world what it means for a community that believes in God to set aside our differences and to truly serve one another and love one another. And finally, next step, number four, I will bear with others in love bear with others in love the last area of application has to do with the other people in our lives and it might be somebody that you work with it might be somebody that you go to school with it might be someone that you're trying to just put up with because they're on the same zoom classroom call that you're on it might be somebody that's a neighbor of yours or in the neighborhood or somebody else altogether and again God calls us to demonstrate his love by the way we treat other people and bear with them. Let's think about that as we come to the Lord's table tonight.